Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. Hi there, folks. This is Tom Salemi. You may not remember my name nor my voice, but it is me. I am back, and so is the OIS Podcast. Thanks for allowing us to return. Uh, We have been gone for a few weeks. I'm sorry about the absence, but uh, we are back and in full force. And our guest today is Reza Zadno. He is the president and CEO of Avidro. Avidro raised another round of capital recently from uh, a new investor and existing investors. So we talked with Reza about that round. They were also uh, completed filling out their management team. Reza gave us an update on that and other progress at Avidro. So it was great to have him on the program. We're going to do something a little different with the podcast. I don't know if it'll be a permanent change or, or if it'll be the same format every week, but uh, we're going to uh, have two different guests on just to break things up a little bit. So uh, our second guest will be uh, Bill Murray, the chief commercial officer from Allegan. I talked to him at uh, OIS at ASCRS in Washington, D.C., so uh, we'll have that uh, interview for you as well. So I hope you enjoy the new podcast format. Again, just trying to uh, break things up a bit. We'll certainly have longer interviews as well, but uh, we'll uh, provide some, uh, some short snippets also so uh, we hear from as many voices as possible. So let's get into this podcast with our first guest, Reza Zadno of Avidro. Reza Zadno, welcome back to the OIS podcast. Thank you. So we have a bit of uh, news you folks released. You've got a lot of news this, this year, actually, which I want to cover. But uh, your most recent news was a new round of financing. You had a $25 million round led by a new investor, Lily Asia Ventures. Uh, first, uh, let's get into the, the, the dollars themselves. Uh, what is this capital going to be used for? So the capital we raised will help us uh, uh, develop new products, a clinical study that we announced at OIS. We, we uh, started on the Epion clinical study. Um, other clinical studies that we are doing outside the U.S. on the pixel refractive uh, uh, applications and uh, also uh, advanced the uh, reimbursement effort, market access, uh, to allow commercialization. So the funding is to support these activities. Now, you had raised a $42 million round last year. Uh, did, you, did you do that and close on that knowing you would need additional capital this year? Or uh, did, your, did you decide this year that you needed more capital than perhaps you thought last year? So we had a line of uh, debt credit that we could have taken this year. Instead of taking some of the debt, we decided to raise equity instead of that. Um, so, so that, that was one reason it, it was a better, uh, better way of funding the company. And also, uh, the re- reimbursement market access commercialization, you know, anytime you are introducing a new technology, um, and uh, have to go through multiple, uh, fronts, you know, w- one is reimbursement, through FDA, these are um, expensive uh, projects. So it takes a huge amount of capital, and um, 
you always say in uh, I, I was uh, five years as Interest partner you never say this is the last round uh, you're always hoping it's the last round but uh, uh, again two things one is um, uh, we made good progress we introduced uh, the clinical study so this year the pixel program some new products we are developing some of these were not in the plan last year, so and also the fact that we decided instead of using debt, to, uh, take equity. Uh, these are the couple of reasons that we took this additional twenty-five million dollars. Interesting. Can you can you provide a little uh, color on the decision not to to take the debt? Is uh, is there has, have the debt markets changed? The interest rates are higher. Uh, why, why did equity make more sense? You know, there is uh, th- th- there are different school of thoughts on that one. You know, to you know, last year we uh, we were given a, a large amount of debt. We took it. Um, you, you know, there are different school of thoughts on that. There is not one is not necessarily better than the other, but. Uh, if you have a good balance of cash and debt, you, you try to always balance those on, on your uh, balance sheet that you don't have too much debt versus uh, equity. So, so this is a better, I, I think what we did is a better solution. Understood. And just finally, I want to ask about the new investor, uh, Lily Asia Ventures. When I first heard the name, I, I thought there might be a connection with Eli Lilly, but then I thought probably not. But then in checking with it, and actually its origins are tied to Eli Lilly, but I don't think it's uh, connected with that firm anymore. Anyway, I'll stop. That's correct. I'll stop babbling with my question and ask about Lily Asia Ventures. It, is there a strategic, how, how did they become involved and is there a strategic element to their participation given that uh, Asia is in their name? Um, so, quite frankly, when we decided at some point, should we take the additional debt or should we take equity, uh, we, we talked to some firms um, that are larger firms who can also, if down the road uh, there is other funding, they can be partner for a long time. Uh, there was tremendous interest from multiple venture capitalists, and uh, Lily Asia had a prior, uh, especially Hong Bo. Uh, she previously worked at Orbimed, so immediately we had multiple groups who uh, got in touch with us. In fact, we had uh, it was a good good round. It went very quickly. What resonates with uh, investors is this is an orphan indication. We are the only FDA approved in the U.S. Uh, we have a very strong pipeline of products. Um, so uh, we were talking to a few uh, groups, and um, I, I think the experience of Lily Asia knowing the Asian market and interestingly, uh, Asia was a good uh, market for us last year. Um, th- this gives also additional uh, expertise on the board. Um, it wasn't necessarily because we want to do anything specifically in Asia, but now we have more expertise over there, and 
China, Singapore, Japan, the, the Asia is a very good market for us. So they do have uh, expertise in that area. But there, again, um, the story resonated well with many venture capitalists, uh, as I mentioned, on the, uh, the only FDA-approved product and the uh, product pipeline. And you've already have a, a great syndicate with Orbamed and to West and, and HealthQuest and others. Uh, I was wondering, was there a discussion about adding a strategic investor, or, or do you already have one that I don't remember? No, we do not have strategics. You know, strategics are always an interesting thought. Um, in, in my past uh, history companies, I never took money from strategics. If with strategics you can come up with an agreement that they are an investors similar to other uh, venture capitalists, I think that's a good, good uh, uh, solution. Um, it, it takes longer with strategics. So um, we, we primarily uh, look for capital from, uh, from venture capitalists and people who invest in private companies. That's good policy. So let's talk a bit about your, your other news. Uh, recently, you brought aboard uh, a new chief business officer, uh, Jim Sherman. And, uh, and now you, we talked at OIS about that. You're very excited about his, uh, his coming aboard. Tell us a bit about who he is and, and what he'll be doing at Avidro. So Jim has a very strong background in commercialization. Um, at Hardware, he grew that business to uh, more than $200 million dollars. Um, so on the marketing, sales, but more importantly, reimbursement. So he will have government affairs, and already he has made a couple of uh, very good hires. So we are strengthening our market access group to help uh, navigate through this uh, reimbursement transition as we are, the, as you know, Keratoconus is transitioning from a self-pay to reimbursed procedure. and. We have now 34 carriers covering it, close to 100 million covered lives. Um, uh, carriers are starting to establish payment policies. So we are putting more effort there. So he's already uh, made some good hires there. Um, he, he will uh, lead our sales and marketing product development um, uh, product management, reimbursement, and government affairs. That's terrific. And is this the, the last uh, significant hire on, on the management team, or are there a few other roles you're looking to, to fill out? No, so the management team is uh, right now complete with the commercial group, quality, uh, clinical regulatory, finance, uh, legal, R&D operations. Um, th this is a complete management team. That's great. And just final question, you're coming upon your, uh, your well, Avidra, I should say, has celebrated its, its 10th uh, birthday, its, its its 10th year in existence. Yes. What does that mean yeah. for uh, yeah. for a startup, other than just uh, another flip of the calendar? Is it, uh, is it, does a 10-year mark carry some significance, apply some some pressure, uh, change anything in any way for, uh, for a CEO? So I, I think uh, looking back at history of Avidro, the company was formed uh, 10 years ago with one uh, vision or mission at the time was to reshape the cornea. And uh, they tried different technologies 
and uh, very quickly realized that in order to, they, they tried microwave, they were trying different ways of reshaping the cornea, and the company realized they need a cross-linking to stabilize the cornea. So what does it mean 10 years later that what Abidro is truly the world leader in corneal remodeling? We are the only company with uh, FDA-approved product in the U.S. to treat keratoconus, and all the clinical studies we run out of the uh, we are running outside the U.S. In, with the Pixel program for low myopia, presbyopia. Um, I, I think it's it's uh, it's nice to see that 10 years later that dream was uh, realized that we we can reshape the cornea and. This is the story of startups. You know, you start with a w with a vision where you are going, and the secret is to be tenacious and uh, and stay the course, and and that takes a strong team, uh, requires capital, needs uh, doctors who do clinical studies, and um, basically your employees, consultants, clinical, and, and that is that, that's. What startup is all about? Tenacity. <laughs> that is absolutely true. Great. Well, uh, we appreciate your tenacity and, and your uh, presentations at at, uh, at OIS. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll make sure we run uh, a link or post a link to your presentation you gave in uh, in DC this year, so people can get more updates on uh, on your clinical trial. And, and again, congratulations on the financing. Okay. Thank you very much. Excellent. Well, thank you, Reza Zadna, for joining us on the podcast. As I mentioned, our next guest is Bill Murray. He's the Chief Commercial Officer at Algon. We connected at OIS at ASCRS. So we'll get into that interview in just a moment. I did want to remind you that OIS Retina is happening on July 20th in Vancouver. So please go to ois.net to register for that great program. It's our third year and uh, it's shaping up to be a terrific one. So we hope to see you there. Again, go to ois.net to register for OIS Retina. Now let's get into this conversation with Bill Murray of Allegan. Hi, this is Tom Salemi. We are here at OIS at ASCRS, and I'm thankful that Bill Murray, the Chief Commercial Officer from Allegan, has joined us. Bill, thank you. Great to be here. So this is, uh, uh, obviously, ophthalmology plays a huge part of Allegan's story, and I want to get into your pipeline, because you've been very busy on the early stage side of things. But first, I want to cover some, uh, some more recent news. We talked earlier, actually, at uh, OIS at AAO. We talked to Brent Saunders about uh, the news around Restasis, that was followed up with some discussions about uh, some uh, announcements of cuts and layoffs due to the Restasis program. Where are we with that uh, process? And do you feel it's had any sort of impact in your connection to ophthalmologists or ophthalmology in general? Uh, no. I would say uh, patent cliffs are part of the industry. Sure. Uh, they're never easy to, to go through. Uh, we did have to make some changes to the business because of the expected loss in, in sales for Restasis. Uh, but those changes have been made. We still have... Uh, one of the broadest and deepest uh, development programs in place mm -hmm. in R&D. Uh, in fact, I would say we probably have the largest pharmaceutical pipeline in eye care. And then on the commercial side, we still have one of the largest sales forces in the world. Uh, it's a $2 billion business worldwide uh, growing at a mid-single-digit rate. Mm -hmm. And so we're still very happy with the, with the eye care business. Uh, we are in a transition, and we do have you know several exciting projects in development that we expect uh, will 
uh, rebuild our, our business after we lose Restasis. Yeah, you have some exciting programs. Indeed, I was going through the 10K, and that's kind of what I want to get into next. You had your string of acquisitions, Oculive, of course, which is now commercial, is true tier. That's right. Aquasis as well is on the market, right? Yes. And Foresight Vision 5, uh, yeah. RetroSense, and we will, we'll talk about Editus in a, morning, in a moment, but what is, <clears throat> was that an unusual string of early-stage acquisitions for a company your size, and how does that impact kind of operations? Does it take time for that bolus to kind of move down the snake? before you're able to do more acquisitions, or, or yeah. how does that work? It's a good question. Our, our approach to our building our R&D pipeline and eye care is to create balance, balance between early-stage opportunities and later-stage opportunities. Uh, you mentioned some of the, the early-stage opportunities, which are balanced by later-stage opportunities, such as Abyssapar for AMD, mm-hmm. Bimatoprest, SR for, for glaucoma, uh, by way of example. Uh, and you really need to have balance so that you can maintain a steady flow of new product opportunities in innovation, which, you know, ultimately it's the number one problem every company has to solve for. Mm-hmm. And I think we're solving for it. And we're excited about the later stage compounds and some of the other ones that you mentioned uh, are in earlier stages and will reach certain R&D milestones over the next uh, several quarters uh, and, and several years. And when we look up in five years, we hope we have one of the more impressive eye care product lines in the world. So do those early-stage products that you brought in, uh, how do they kind of work their way through the company? Is there, are there people whose 100% job is to move that forward, or are they sort of assigned to different teams with different, uh, maybe one foot in the commercial side and one foot on the early development side? Yeah, it's a good question. For an early-stage project, it sits in R&D. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a core product team and a, and a governance board that manages all aspects of the early-stage development work. Um, they're completely focused on it. Uh, at some point, uh, that early stage compound will be handed over to a clinical development team to advance it through, for example, phase two, phase three, and then ultimately NDA submission. Uh, commercial uh, input is received uh, at the earliest stages of development, even for late stage preclinical compounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then as a product gets you know, 12 to 24 months from launch, then there's an awful lot of early commercialization work that's being done to get it ready. Strategic decisions related to how it's going to be positioned, uh, investment decisions, pricing decisions, packaging decisions, among many other things. So is the, is the hunt then for new early stage technologies, is that at all suspended or on hold while these are being digested, or do you still have the same amount of people going out and looking for the next Oculive or whatever have you? We still have the same amount of people, probably more, uh, even though we made some changes to our, our eye care business, we're evaluating as many new opportunities today as we were, uh, you know, last year. And we look at virtually everything. We're, we're agnostic about the type of technology. Uh, we're agnostic about the stage of development. Uh, if we think that there's uh, an innovative solution that the market's going to be interested in it and it improves our offering, uh, then we'll do it, which is why if you look at our eye care business, it's not just pharmaceuticals, it's pharmaceuticals, procedures, mm-hmm. devices, among many other things. And the deal I mentioned earlier with Editas for the gene therapy program, uh, is that an unusual deal for Allegan? Do you have any other, other collaborations like that? Not unusual, but we don't have uh, many types of, of programs like that. Um, we're very selective when we go into early stage, high risk, high reward projects. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just our, our, our approach to R&D. Uh, 
But, you know, in my view, you, you have to have a swing for the fence. And if you have the opportunity to cure a condition and you're in an area that's important to the company and you're committed to customers and patients, uh, those are the types of investments that you make. And that, that's a perfect example of one. Are you likely to have other bets in gene therapy or is this? Just- I would expect that if the scientific team thinks that we can expand that business and build some depth around gene therapy, that we will do more deals in that area. Mm-hmm. And I should say investments, yeah. not bets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you did mention earlier your, your pipeline. You have uh, two products in phase three, uh, the, the Abyssipar and Bimetoprost. I'm terrible with names. Yeah. And uh, Abyssipar, Abyssipar in phase two. Uh, do you look for... Would you possibly bring in later stage compounds to sort of augment those late stage opportunities, or are you comfortable with, with this later stage pipeline? They have yeah, you can now? you can never have enough products, and so but the they're answer, expensive, though. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, they are expensive. You get what you pay for, yeah. and <laughs> and um, listen, the three spaces that we serve, uh, glaucoma, interior segment, and retina, are important to us. And you know, our aim is to build as much product line depth in those areas as possible. Uh, you know, in the world of open science, which is basically a combination of, you know, mid to late stage drug development and business development, you have to kiss a lot of frogs before you find a prince. <laughs> and so we evaluate a lot of product opportunities. And if we think something is compelling on a strategic level and then on a financial level, we'll do it. And there's, there's really no limit to how much we'll, we'll acquire. Uh, we never have a shortage of, of, of you can never have a shortage of products. So I guess in the next year, could you, will we be talking about a new deal, do you think? Are you anticipating that some, something, you'll find some project to purchase or some other kind of uh, earlier stage acquisition going forward? Yeah, I would expect by the end of 2018, I'd like to believe that we will have added a few more assets to our, our pipeline or to our, our product line. It's a little harder to get marketed products, as you know. Sure. Uh, but I would, I would like to uh, imagine that we'll have more stuff at the end of the year. Excellent. And with the, the true tier acquisition, uh, I know that uh, I saw that at Seco uh, earlier this year. It's, it's getting great play. Uh, I believe that the it's going to be a private pay only uh, yes. um, uh, business. Was that expected? And is that is the reimbursement? How are you looking at the reimbursement environment? Is it is it a challenge? Do you see it as something that's easy, easier to manage than perhaps others might? Yeah, I think that um, generally speaking, uh, there is a real emphasis on controlling costs in all aspects of healthcare right now. Sure. And companies have to be part, part of the solution, not part of the problem. Um, there are restrictions and formularies, of course. There's, a down, there's downward pressure on price. Uh, and I think the providers here are, are feeling it, uh, too. I do think there's still a balanced conversation happening between uh, biopharmaceutical companies and health plans. Mm-hmm. Um, we like cash pay products mm-hmm. to balance out our reimbursed business. Oh, and it also provides an opportunity for ophthalmologists and optometrists that are trying to create balance in their practice mm-hmm. between reimbursed services and treatments and cash pay services and treatments. And we took a look at True Tier. We thought we could price it very reasonably so that it could be a cash pay uh, model for Allergan and for optometrists and, and ophthalmologists. And uh, we're launching it uh, next week, I guess, officially, and a press release will go out on Friday. And, it's, you know, it's a great – I always say that if Apple had decided to get into eye care, they would have developed True Tier. Yeah. I think Michael Ackerman at, at, uh, at OculeVe and, and Bill Link 
uh, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a terrific product, and, and we hope that it's successful as we launch it over the next several quarters. Yeah, I think you made that analogy before. I did. Right. It has a really neat, a neat look and a neat feature, and I did see it on the floor of Seco, but very, I was yeah. surprised at how understated it was. So yes. the official rollout will be at uh, ASCRS? That's correct. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Okay. And final question. We're obviously seeing products like TrueTier giving new opportunities and new options for optometrists. Do you see that as an area where, I mean, it's an area where you already have some great exposure, but do you see yourself bringing more devices, more maybe medically oriented products to, to service optom optometrists and help them build their practices? Yeah, it's a good question. I think the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. uh, that's been an emphasis of ours over the past several years. It'll continue to be an emphasis. TrueTier is a great example of a technology that could have great utility in optometry. Uh, another example uh, would be our Bematoprast ring from Foresight Vision 5, which would, would be a, a perfect solution for optometrists that are um, putting more emphasis on medical management and intervention in their, in their practices. And there's many of them. Uh, they play an invaluable service in, in terms of eye care health, and uh, you know, we're committed to that segment too. Excellent. Well, it's a great story. Very happy to have you here. Thanks great for the time. Here. Thanks, Tom. All right, well, that is a wrap. Thank you, Bill Murray. Thank you, Reza Zado. And, of course, thank you, OIS Podcast listeners. It's great to be back. We're all very grateful for your support and your listening to the podcast, and we'll continue to be here in the future. If you wouldn't mind reaching out to me, letting us know how we're doing, I am at Tom at healthag.com. That is the word health, followed by letters E-G-Y.com. Healthag is the producer of the OIS Podcast, the OIS events, and many other great programs. You go to healthag.com to find out more about our uh, programs in respiratory, aesthetics, med tech, digital health. It's all there. So go to healthag.com to find out more. And of course, join us on July 20th in Vancouver at OIS Retina. Go to ois.net to register and we will see you in Vancouver. <laughs>